I don't know if you've ever been on uh, YouTube. I mean, you know, here's me. I used to go and I used to work on like something like my car. You know, I work on it like three hours trying to figure out what was going wrong. And then I'd go in and I'd watch YouTube. You know what I'm saying? And you'd see somebody else do it. And then you'd find out how easy it was. Do you know what I'm saying? You'd look at that and you'd go, oh, that's how you do that. And you do. And so what I do now, I mean, a little bit different. I watch YouTube first. You understand? I watch the YouTube first because a lot of things are a whole lot simpler than we want to make them out to be. They're not as complicated as you as you think, you know? And so what we do is, is that we are, for some reason, we're always looking for the complicated. Why don't we look for the complicated stuff? Why do we not recognize things as they actually really appear? Why do we make it, you know, why do we try to make it so hard? We, we look at our lives and we start to say, you know what, what is going to make my life meaningful? What's going to make my life, it's going to fill my life up. And I can tell you some things that we already should know, but maybe we don't know. I can tell you that physical pleasure sounds like great, but I'll I tell you this. A massage feels great, but you're not going to live for it. You're going to say, oh boy, I just hope that I can live to the next massage. And when you come down to possessions, when it really comes down to, you know, just having more money. I mean, look at some of the stories of the lottery winners. You know, they make, make the millions and millions. And we really, really think that we're going to get, you know... You know, it's going to be something great once we, you know, once that happens for us. You know that we're going to we're going to just say, "Well, wow! If I just had enough money, all my problems would go away." And we say those people didn't have their problems go away. In fact, they some of them have said, "I wished I never won the money in the first place." Their lives are much worse. And when you think that you know what I want to be is famous, I want people to know who I am. I want them to give me the best seats. I want them to. I want them to do all that kind of stuff. Look at the people that are famous. I mean, I, I remember one time I got on an elevator with somebody who's famous. I didn't know they were famous, but the person that was with me knew they were famous. And I mean, I, and I sat there and I went, wonder why this lady's got the big sunglasses on and she's got a thing over her head. And, and she's got, I mean, it's too warm to have that overcoat on right now. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, she's just a nut, you know. And reality is somebody famous. And what you find from those people that are famous, they're running from the photographers there are want to be left alone and so you have to say well what is it if it's not going to be my physical pleasure it's not going to be about how much money I got in the bank and it's certainly not going to be about how many people know who I am what is it what is at the center of our lives that is going to make our lives meaningful and it's not complicated folks it's peace with God and peace with others I mean that you say well that's just too simple But when you look at what is going on here, you find that Peter is writing to a group of people that are going through difficult times. And what they could think is, is that, you know what, if I just had enough money, I could get out of this. I could go to a place where nobody would bother me. Or maybe they think that that if I just had enough prestige, if I was a king myself, then I could... I could get a, uh, I would, could go to a place and I wouldn't have all the problems that I have. And what does Peter write to these people? He writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
And look at what he's saying here. You know, just look at this very simply, not trying to make it more complicated. Let's look at what he's saying here. He says, we should have peace outside the church because he says, honor everyone. We should have peace outside the church. Now, normally what we do is we tell everybody, why don't you love everybody? But that's not very descriptive, is it? I mean, that's like saying the, the school bus is yellow. That doesn't describe a school bus, does it? We look at that bus, it looks a whole lot different from that. And so we have to understand what he's saying here. Peter uses the honor word. Honor is for those people outside the church because he's including those people inside the church because he said everyone, but also outside. The Greek word for that is the Greek word is tomeo. Honor speaks of worth or even a purchase price. This is what it really means. And what is the purchase price for, what about that person sitting next to you? What is the purchase price for that person? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And everybody, everybody we need to treat as if they are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. How high is that price? There isn't a higher price, is there? There is no other higher price, and we're to do that. We are to treat each person as worth the blood of Jesus. You realize that? Now think about that. That means that if you're going to go to lunch after this, and you go to a restaurant, that person that is going to wait on you is worth the blood of Jesus Christ. That person that seats you at your table is worth the blood of Jesus Christ. That person that rides in the car with you on the way there is worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Now think of honoring each other in that way. You see, what happens to us is that, and I don't know if we we get it so often, is our peace with God is tied with peace with others. In reality, if you don't have peace with others, you don't have peace with God. And if you don't have peace with God, you don't have peace with others. Those two work hand in hand. And it means that when we are dealing with other people, we give them the value that God has given them, and that is the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, and it has nothing to do with their economic or social standing in the community. I think that what happens to us so often, and even happened among preachers, is that we'll find somebody who is uh, wealthy, and they'll start coming to church, and we'll start pursuing that person. And you know why the preacher does that? Because they can do things for them. They can do things for them in that, in that church. Okay, this could be the person that helps us build the new building. This is the person that's going to help us have this new outreach program. This is for, because they've got money. Did you know the early church had that problem too? It says in James chapter 2 verse 1. <clears throat> My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this, you sit over here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones that drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? You see, we honor those people the same, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're famous or they're not so famous, or or whether they have any social standing or even economic standing at all. We honor them the same. You know, when we start striving after others, to fulfill what we want. You know, the truth about that is, is that we're not striving after God to give us what we really need. <clears throat> we're like a dog that chases his tail. You ever had a dog chase his tail? You know, what? that dog chases his tail knowing that if I catch that tail, it's going to be the best thing that has ever happened to me. But in reality, he's just chasing his tail And so what we end up doing is is that we live under a scam thinking that we can get something out of that person that is going to be better than what we could have gotten from God. So when we give value, giving value to everyone will promote peace. It it won't guarantee it. There may be some people who still don't like you. I have that experience myself. I know what that's like. But that doesn't mean that I don't give them value. And it also promotes an opportunity for those on the outside of the church. It promotes the opportunity to share Christ with them. But so we should have peace with those on the outside of the church. But we should also, we should have peace inside the church. For Peter tells us to love the brotherhood. Now understand, that doesn't mean you get to hate the sisterhood. It's not what this is saying here. We are loving the brotherhood. Now, there there are two words that make this love unique. And that first word is the word agape. And you know what that word is. That's the God type of love. It cannot be measured. You don't say, I love them this much or this much. You cannot measure that kind of love. It is also, it is setting your determination that you're going to love them. God determined that he was going to love you. Understand that. And what it's happening is you're going to determine that you love this person. You're not going to be like a person that gets in an inner tube and floats down the river. You're going to be like a person who has a rowboat and you're going to be paddling on that way there. You have a destination to get to. And that destination is that you are going to love that person. Now, I'm not going to tell you that everybody's easy to love. That's why you need to determine that you're going to love them. Because if you're waiting for them to do something for you so that you'll love them, you may be waiting a very long time. And there will be some people that will make themselves your enemy even if you do everything that you should do with those people. I had a guy, he did not like me. He knew what he did? He came and told me, I don't like you. You know what I'm saying? And you wonder, well, what did I do? And you, I mean, I really didn't, I still don't really know. But what I determined, this guy was a church member, not at this church, but he was a church member. I determined if he is going to make me his enemy, I will treat him like an enemy. That doesn't mean I am harsh with him. What does it say in the Bible we're supposed to do when you have an enemy? Pray for him. And so I prayed for that guy. 
I prayed for that guy more than I prayed for the other church members. If you want to know the truth, I was praying for that guy. And I had another staff member said, you know what you need to do? You need to pray that there's a crisis that comes up in his life and he needs you to solve it and he'll get over this. And I said, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say, I hope that, you know, I'm going to pray. You pray something bad happens to them so you can rescue them. That's not what it says. I said to him, I said, no, I'm praying for his health. I'm praying for his success. I'm praying for him to have good things that will happen in his life. Now, he never came around. That was not my part of responsibility. I was at peace with him. He may never have been at peace with me. And I thought, look at what he's missing. He's missing a relationship with God that he could have, but he can't have. Because what has he done? He's decided that he's not going to have peace with somebody else. So the first word is agape. You set your mind that you're going to do, uh, have this kind of love. And the other word is adelphotis. Adelphotis, it just means brother. But the fact is, is that, <laughs> do you realize that when you have a brother, you have a same parent? <laughs> do you understand that? You're in the same family. Uh, this is what it means. And, and here's one of the things, you know, that, you know, any church member, or any, no, I shouldn't say that, any other believer in Jesus Christ, because you can become a church member and not be a believer. But any believer in Jesus Christ, you can never say, I'll never see you again. <laughs> I don't care who they are. You're going to see them again. If not on this earth, you're going to see them in heaven. You're always going to see these people. And when... There is no peace in your family. Let me say this. and You can know this. There is no misery like having no peace in your family. When you've got a battle that is going on in your family, when there is that person who is, you know, that, that, you know, that is always agitating things and making things worse, or you're that person, I'll also tell you, there's, no, there's nothing like it. I'll give you an example. The closest person that a man should have if he's married is his wife. What does the Bible say if he has struggle with his wife? What does it say? Well, give, let me give you a couple. Proverbs 21 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I think that some of the men would say amen, except they're afraid to right now. <laughs> That's right. That's the truth, isn't it? Proverbs 21, 19, just 10 verses of it. Why did they have to say it so many times? It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. That is so true, isn't it? Closest person you're supposed to have. But let me just go to the family itself and go to this one. Proverbs 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel with, a, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better that you should have there being peace in your house. Then maybe you have all the possessions that you could ever really want. All the food and all the other things that you'd want. But have strife in your house. I can tell you that it is reported that when a marriage has contempt in it, it is in serious trouble. But I can tell you that also a church is in serious trouble when there's contempt in it as well. For churches with internal strife hardly ever grow. They get a reputation that is out in the community. And people who do not know Jesus don't want to be a part of the bickering battle. And I can tell you the other side of the story. People who do know Jesus don't want to be a part 
of the bickering that goes on. We hardly understand revival. We talk about revival in church, but we don't understand that revival is not about all the people on the outside coming and getting right with God. Revival is when the people on the inside of the church get right with God. That's reality what revival is. You see, you've got to be revived. You've got to be vibed in the first place so you can have revival. You've got to have life in you. And what keeps churches from having that revival is when we refuse to have peace with God and have peace with other people. And so what happens so often is, and I see this with so many people, they have a problem with somebody, especially within the church. And you know what they do? They say, I don't have a problem. I don't have any issues with them. And what they do is they do have some issue with them. And they, 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 talk, they, they talk like they're one of the people that John is talking about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're going to have revival. We've got to admit sometimes, I'm having a struggle with so-and-so. I am going to pray for them. I'm having a struggle with so-and-so. They did something. Maybe I need to go and tell them, I forgive you for what you've done. Or maybe on the other side, I did something. And I need to go and I need to say, will you please forgive me? For I can tell you what I know. Peace comes to the confessed sinner, not the self-declared saint. It is the confessed sinner, the person who does something about it. But our peace is not just with the people on the outside of the church. Our peace is not just with the people on the inside of the church. Peace with God requires that we fear him. We must have, uh, we must have a fear of God. And that, that is a mystery for a lot of people. But Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You understand that forgetting the fear of God will result in all sorts of strange understandings. Without the fear of God, we will not be able to even to tell you, not be able to define what a man or woman is. Without the fear of God, we don't have the knowledge that we have in order to really very practically uh, walk through this, this life that we're in. See, it is the fear of God that puts things in order. The fear of God is found in the, a woman when she, her mother-in-law is coming to visit. She wants to make sure everything is in order in her house. It isn't necessarily that her uh, mother-in-law is mean, but she wants it to be right. The fear, the fear that we find is fear in a man when he, his boss is checking out his work. Just wants to make sure everything is in order. You know, here's the thing, folks. People will say, but, but, but we're not supposed to have fear. The Bible tells us that love will dissipate fear. Well, let's go through that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, what happens here is, as God seeks a people who will obey him, and we prove our love to God in our obedience. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So in, and when you abide in his love, you know, here's the thing, when you keep his commandments. Now understand what I'm talking about here. You see, Jesus said, John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
Here's what happens, folks. When we have done what the Lord has called us to do, we have no fear of coming before the Lord. Our fear came in obedience, not in standing before Him. The student who has studied well has no fear of the test. What happened was the fear was found in the studying so they get prepared for the test. The obedient employee has no fear of the boss because the obedient employee has had the fear in the obedience to what the boss has said. The completely faithful husband has no fear of what his wife might find because there's nothing to find. His fear was found in his obedience and and all of this, the faithfulness that is there. When I've gone to the hospital, I've heard people say, I made my peace with God. I think they watched a Western one time that that was in. And they decided, you know, I'm going to say that because that sounds like something John Wayne would say. And so they said, I made my peace with God. And, and you know what? I'm not going to tell them, that I'm not going to jump their case, especially that in the hospital they're sick. But do you realize you make peace with God? It comes with repentance. That's reality. It comes with repentance. You don't just say, I made my peace. And, and, you know, that's sort of like, you know, I I made my peace. I didn't talk to God about it, but I made my peace with God. And it's like buying a lottery ticket and already counting yourself as a millionaire. You don't have any reality involved in all of this. Honestly, put things in order with God if you want to have peace. You know, telling him that you'll do something and you don't do it, you don't obey his commandments, is not going to put things in order. Telling him that he has to overlook the things that you didn't do for him because you've got good reasons is not going to put things in order. And when you stand before him, if you find yourself saying, oh, well, I've got to make some good excuses now, you're going to find yourself in abject fear. And the reason behind that is, is because you didn't show your love for him. You didn't make peace. We have peace when we honor the authorities placed over us so we have we have peace with on the people on the outside the church peace with people on the inside of the church we have a peace with god and then we have a civil responsibility to obey those authorities that are over us now that would mean for a lot of times for us you know uh, it is obeying the law it is paying your taxes. It is reporting your taxes. And unfortunately, I can even tell you that some preachers don't report all their taxes. And I'm sorry to say that, but that is the truth. Will Rogers, the comedian of a long time ago, he said that the income tax has made more liars out of the American people than golf has. You know, you understand that. Because we're not obeying. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. See, the, the, the problem that we have is, is that those who have preached this kind of thing, obey the government, and give it, what they've done is they've gone too far with it, or they've gone too lenient with it. They don't understand that what we need to do is obey the government when, it's, when it is. Well, we should always obey the civil government when the law brings peace within our faith. We should always obey the the government. And what happens is, is that we go too far. In other words, we obey the government when there's a holocaust. And we go along with the holocaust. We we obey the government when they're dealing with abortion. And we can get away with the, the, the abortion because that's the law. And we can go on with that. But what we need to do is understand when it goes to something that is abhorrent to God, when it goes to that which is tyranny and such... There is a time that we need to say we do not obey 
the government in this. It says in the, uh, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence, those people that were, you know, they wrote the De- Declaration of Independence. Do you realize they struggled with this because they were believers? They struggled with having a rebellion against the king. I mean, it, that word actually, I went back a minute ago to look it up in my Greek Bible. I would translate not honor the emperor. I would have said honor the king. It's really what it means. And so they struggled with it. And so when they wrote that, that Declaration of Independence, I want you to hear these words. And I want you to hear the struggle that they had in it. So they come to the point where they said, we need to do this. It says in that document, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the, the causes which impelled them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted amongst men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And according, accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But with a long train of abuses and, abuses and usurpations, Pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right. It is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards to their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government. Do you hear how they struggled in that? There comes a point when you have to say, yes, that's not what we're going to do. But it doesn't come lightly. And so what we do is we obey. We obey our government because when we, then we're going to have peace, not only just with the, with our, with God, with our people in the inside and the outside, but with the civil authorities as well. However, if we're going to determine what is right, it is not going to be because we did it on the inside. See, however, we must keep this truth, the Bible, forever in front of us. And we must not deviate from that scripture as it is really written within the culture that it is written. And we will obey those authorities and we'll have peace in that. You want your life to be fulfilled? 
you have peace with God and you have peace with others. Uh, Jackie Pratcher is going to come up and give an amazing testimony. I want you to hear this. And I told 
minute later, my mother walked through and said that they weren't even. And Amanda innocently replied, I told you so. I went off like a rocket, screaming and yelling at her. Now this little girl of mine was only 12 years old at the time. She had had a hard time dealing with my illness and had started going to church with a friend. And she stood there with tears rolling down her face as I screamed at her. I stopped and I ran to my room, sobbing in my pillow. She came in to apologize. And as she was saying she was sorry, I explained that she had absolutely nothing to be sorry about and held her as we both cried. Then Jim and my mother came in and we were all crying, sitting on my bed together. When out of the blue, my doctor called to check on me. I told him I wanted all the medicine. He warned me that I could 